0: Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. We are part of the FreightCast family of podcasts from FreightWaves, and on this show, we drill deep. We drill deep into the world of oil and diesel, the lifeblood of the trucking industry, and we drill deep with an outside expert on any variety of subjects. Today, we're going to drill deep with Dan Cook. He's a principal and a practice leader of True North. Dan's going to talk about trucking insurance in the age of the coronavirus, or and also really the age after the coronavirus, whenever that might be and what might happen to this cost of doing business. Remember that the cost of doing business through insurance before the start of the pandemic was one of the biggest issues on people's minds. Now it's dropped down the list, but it isn't going away. What I can tell you about drilling and oil this week is that a lot of it in the U.S. is not going to get done, and that is going to be a big hit to the trucking industry. The weekly production figures from the U.S. Department of Energy that came out midweek shows that production of crude in this country, is down to twelve point two million barrels per day. It was thirteen point one million barrels per day just a few weeks ago. That's nine hundred thousand barrels a day. You know there are benefits to cheaper diesel from cheaper diesel prices uh, in the trucking industry, but remember that they are coming into a market where volume, trucking volume, had fallen pretty significantly before showing some recent signs of stabilization. So the benefit of cheaper diesel gets minimized because of that, because your mileage is down. But in certain parts of the trucking business, they are significantly hurting as a result of this collapse in oil production. You think of all the flatbed business hauling energy drilling equipment, that's collapsing. You think of the rail cars and the trucks hauling frack sand, collapsing. The LTL business gets a significant amount of its business from the manufacturing sector, and that includes energy, collapsing. We're not going to talk that much about the negative prices that crude brought this past week. I'm sure you all heard about it. It was a huge story, and it deserved to be a huge story. It's been pretty well covered. It really, what went on there was a trading play, but it did show the fundamental problem that the oil market has right now of this gigantic imbalance between supply and demand. And as a result of that, or not as a result of that, but there's a lack of places to store that surplus. But if you strip out all the noise surrounding that, what is happening is that diesel prices are actually falling at a faster clip than the price of crude oil, the price of physical crude oil, not the price that went down into negative territory on Monday. Here at FreightWaves, we track the physical price of the World Crude Benchmark, Brent Crude, against the price of physical diesel in the spot market using data provided to us by S&P Global Platts, and that information is available on our Sonar Market Dashboard product. For the past several days leading up to the recording of this podcast, diesel has been falling faster than crude. It's kind of an acknowledgement that when there's a demand shock, the crude markets react first. But then traders start to realize that consumers don't actually demand crude. They demand products like gasoline and diesel. And then diesel and gasoline fall in response to that. Quite frankly, gasoline had been falling for quite some time. That stabilized a bit. Diesel caught up because the diesel market was helped by what we know was the mad dash to restock stores in the middle of March. There's a lot of focus on the size of the storage available in the U.S. for crude. There is a number, though, that's out there for how much diesel we can store, not just diesel, but all distillates, uh, heating oil and diesel. That number is about 230 million barrels for all types of distillates. That's according to the U.S. Energy Information Administration. This week, it was reported that U.S. inventories of distillates stood at about 137 million barrels, so almost 100 million barrels less. So what you should know as a consumer of diesel is that the same incentive to store crude now exists in the diesel market as well. It's a simple play, really. You buy diesel now, you sell it into the futures market for delivery a year from now, you store it in the interim, and you make a fairly straightforward profit even after you pay that storage fee. And given the enormous gap between what the federal government says is capacity, storage capacity, and how much of that capacity remains available, it means there's a lot of room to grow even more diesel storage. Even with that report on diesel inventories, the latest one, we're nowhere near the high levels of the Great Recession of you know, 10, 11 years ago. The good news then for truckers is that more diesel is going to go into storage, and it's going to serve as a source of supply for a long time to come that cushion is going to be immense. You know, you can't store trucking capacity. So if capacity gets tight later in the year, and I listened to one webinar this week that suggested that so many uh, trucks are going to be put on the fence, so many drivers are going to pack it in that we might have some tight capacity by the end of the year, it's possible to see this sweet spot where trucking rates start to rise, but diesel doesn't because they're going to be held down by the stocks that continue to build. So- that's something to look forward to. But in the meantime, I want you to think about all those truck drivers who are losing their livelihoods because of the collapse in the oil patch. Whatever pain you're you're seeing over the road, it's a lot worse for them. We're going to turn our attention now to our guest for the week. You know, I mentioned on other podcasts uh, that we've had about how the issue of insurance was really the biggest issue when I attended the Truckload Carriers Association annual meeting in early March down in in, uh, Orlando. Remember early March? It was a different world then. Uh, The fact is that was the first week that a lot of people were talking actively about the coronavirus. It was during that week that I know an oil-related conference I was supposed to attend a week later was canceled. So the TCA meeting, they weren't talking about the virus yet, but they were most, most definitely talking about insurance a lot. That issue has not faded. It's only been temporarily eclipsed. So I found it very interesting to be on a webinar a few weeks ago with Dan Cook, the principal and practice leader for True North Transportation Group. Dan had some very interesting views on the insurance market for trucks post-pandemic or even during the pandemic. And he's joining us today on Drilling Deep uh, to talk about what might happen in that world. So Dan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks,
1: John. Appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and your audience.
0: So I could throw out any one of a number of theories, not based on much, but they're theories nonetheless, about whether insurance companies are going to benefit from the current market or get hurt by it. You know, On the one hand, the old uh, one, two, two-handed economist, on the one hand, we know there's a lot less traffic on the road. We know that in particular, there's a lot fewer cars on the road. So I'm going to assume that's leading to a lot fewer accidents. So that should be good for the insurance business. On the other hand, your investments are dropping in value, presumably. Uh, insurance rates are plummeting. You've got minuscule returns. And that's what you've got to pay these rates for. So good good times or bad times? I mean, it's a bad time for everything. But just in general, how's insurance handling all this?
1: Well, the insurance industry is healthy. You know, they went into this situation with, as an industry, very strong balance sheets, And we have a mechanism to spread risk. So, I, you know, just in the last several days, you know, AM Best and Fitch have both commented on this. AM Best, uh, you know, downgraded the U.S. insurance market to a negative position uh, while stating in their report that overall the financial health was strong. While, you know, Fitch commented that the capital positions or the investment portfolios of many insurance companies are plummeting, yet their balance sheets remain strong. So as an industry, we're healthy. As it relates specifically, though, to the transportation segment, I would say the results are varied. You know, we're in a segment where lots of insurance carriers only provide truck insurance. And risk has been portfolioed into very small pockets. So some are strong and others are going to face some particular
0: challenges. So can you, can you define that a little better? You say risk has been segmented into specific pockets. I don't know that I know what that means. So if, let's, if you take
1: a large stock insurance company, one of the things that they might do is they might provide insurance for trucking companies. But they also might provide homeowners insurance. they might insure general retail stores, manufacturing companies. They have a broad portfolio of risk, and truck is but one thing they do and and the results of truck or roll up more broadly into the results of their portfolio of business auto that they write and then more broadly into their pool larger pool of risk and But in transportation, we've got a number of insurance companies that only insure trucking companies. They have little or absolutely no other risk. And so their performance lives and dies with the success of the industry. Beyond that, we have some small groups of risk pooled together. Risk retention groups, agency captives, third-party independent captives. um, A number of trucking companies are effectively self-insured for their first tranche of claims and then they pool into reinsurance arrangements. So it's rather unique. And, and in general, the smaller pools have less assets, rely more on reinsurance, and could be
0: more at risk. But what okay, but but are there is there a benefit coming at all from just the drop in traffic on the roads? You know, as we've talked about insurance, as I mentioned at the TCA meeting, the thing you always hear is you know, it's, it's the cars, it's it's the distracted drivers behind the wheels in the automobiles. Well, they're not out there like there used to be. So is there any kind of benefit accruing to the insurance industry as a result of that?
1: I think there is, but we don't know yet. I think you're going to see in this period potentially uh, reduced claims activity in the physical damage and perhaps the auto liability areas, uh, you know, as a result of less density on the roads. You wonder though, if drivers are pushing harder, working longer, you know, if there's elements of safety in the fleet, uh, if, if the fleets were able to make the same level of safety investment, driver coaching, driver management, that they were when their revenue streams were stronger. And so on balance, we don't know there's good and bad. Um, I, I think it's important, though, to talk also about the impact of less truck activity on the road on the financials of these risk pooling groups. You know, let's talk about insurance companies. A lot of the, where your, your personal auto and mine is rated on that car being driven for a period of time certain, normally six months, maybe a one-year insurance policy. Many of the truck insurance policies are written based on a different exposure basis. And the most common being miles driven. So in theory, if if the truck's not driving the miles, and this there's a lot of nuances, minimum premiums and the like. But if the truck's not driving the miles, it's not generating the premium to the insurance company, anyways. So where we might see, re, you know, insurance companies giving money back in personal auto because they know that car's not being driven as much, and their exposure basis is time. That might make some sense. There's a correlation there. If that trucking company is rated on miles driven and they're not driving those miles, there's no return of premium correlation, if that makes sense.
0: No, it makes a lot of sense because I was noticing last week some of the car companies announcing those kind of – I was going to say kickbacks, but (laughs) – some kind of, some of those returns to their their policy owners and and I thought this makes perfect sense we, with the driving having collapsed they're going to have a lot fewer claims so obviously that's a a very interesting point about trucking because as we know after that first rush to restock shelves we know that the all the indicators are pointing down now so when when you were on that webinar that I mentioned earlier that I thought was so good I, I, I felt your scenario on the, uh, on the impact on the insurance industry from uh, COVID-19 was was fairly negative. So can you give us a scenario on how you think the pandemic is going to impact the insurance business beyond what you've already mentioned?
1: Yeah, you know, before it's funny. Three weeks ago, as we're really getting our legs under us with this, um, I hopped, hopped online and bought at least a share of a, do- a dozen additional insurance companies that I didn't own for the purposes of being able to take a little deeper dive in their annual reports and kind of look at, look at trends on their auto liability line of business, not because insurance company stocks are particularly great investment at this time. Uh, And and this weekend I had the opportunity to review two annual reports that I received last week. Um, And the, the two things are true. The business auto line of business which truck is a part of has been incredibly unprofitable for the last decade and progressively more so uh, through 2019. And then secondarily, we're seeing a significant amount of adverse development in prior policy year losses, meaning the reserves that insurance carriers put up uh, aren't where the claims are settling in aggregate or individually. They're settling generally for more. And so you've got that dynamic going on where, where they've reserved for one amounts and have that liability on their balance sheet. But to settle a claim today that occurred three years ago is, is oftentimes more expensive than we knew that claim would be three years ago based on prior periods. So you've got that dynamic going on. The other thing that you have is, you know, insurance companies are some of the largest owners of equities or investment portfolios in the world. And so as the stock market has decreased in value or as equities have gone down, that's harmful for the insurance industry because their investment portfolio decreases, and and that decreases their surplus. The insurance industry is regulated at the state level, and all states or all regulators require, whether you're a traditional stock insurance company or a mutual insurance company, or you're a captive insurance company, that's still an insurance company, they're required to maintain a certain level of surplus to premiums. So the bigger their surplus, the more premium they can write. That goes to the issue of capacity. As investment values decrease, as the exposure levels, meaning less truck miles on the road decrease, or trucks that are rated on a unit basis are parked, the insurance company's capacity shrinks. You've got this other dynamic that the insurance companies largely can't flex their operating, their fixed costs very quickly. So the insurance companies have a relatively in the short-term stagnant administrative cost, so their operating margins are also suffering, which again goes back to capacity.
0: You know, when you look at insurance industry, when, when rates start to go up, you know, I know even as an auto, as an auto insurance purchaser and home insurance, when they start to go up, you think, you know, this is never, ever going to end. And you project out in your head this, you know, well, by three years from now, it'll be, you know, it's worth three times what I'm paying now. But the fact is insurance markets do move up and down. Uh, and premiums do move up and down. What has to happen for this cycle that you just laid out to break? Well, you know, you start
1: with the cycle itself. This is the longest hard market cycle that I've seen in my 30-year career. And before COVID-19, you know, those in the industry that I speak to uh, were thinking that we could have 9 to 18 months left in the transportation space uh, where insurance companies are trying to get get rate. You know, now, if you consider you know, the fundamentals of, you know, limited insurance capacity that we went into this with, a very poor litigation environment, low investment returns, you know, continued adverse development in the prior coverage periods and now decreased exposure basis, I think it's not unlikely that we'll be in an unfavorable rate environment for even longer. Yeah, discussions I had last week with three or four people whose judgment I trust We're thinking it could be 12 to 24 months, depending, of course, depending how quickly we come out of the situation we're in.
0: Well, what what happens at the end of 24 months? Is it just that the premiums have gone up so much that the surpluses are allowed to build to counter some of these other trends that you spoke of?
1: Well, generally speaking, to see rates start to come down, we need to see capacity or interest in writing business auto to include truck and interest in writing excess lines. Uh, to start to increase for both truck and for large private fleet. People don't realize how closely aligned the large private fleets are with the four higher motor carriers. So what I I really see four things that would support increased capacity. First, there needs to be a perception of rate adequacy from the existing auto underwriters. They got to believe that they're getting what they call rate adequacy, meaning an adequate price for their product.
0: And when you, say, when you say auto, truck's in this, right?
1: Yeah, truck, truck's a very big component of it. But I don't want to lose sight of the very large private fleets, you know, the Walmarts the, of the world. There's, there's a tremendous amount of trucks on the road that are not for hire, but are attached to private fleets. Second would be the capital markets, you know, to again view insurance company companies as an attractive place to invest capital. It's not helpful when AM Best puts out a negative review of the U.S. insurance industry from an investment standpoint. Third is really we need some new sources of capital to enter the insurance industry. And, and that would include private equity investments that would free up some of the insurance carrier balance sheet liabilities. There was There was a great example of this recently where a private equity firm came in and bought from Borg Warner all of the legacy liabilities relative to asbestos claims of years ago from them. So that took that liability off that organization's balance sheet and private equity took it. So that's a, if we we could start to see more of that in the traditional insurance sense. And then lastly, and what I would say is probably most important from a sustainability standpoint, is we have to have litigation reform.
0: Yeah. And, you know, that that came up at TCA and, and there was a whole session on it. And I thought to myself, OK, right. No, no disagreement here. But boy, that takes a long time, doesn't it?
1: Well, it, it does. And that's why you have to have a bifurcated battle. You know, that that battle in the short term has to be won in tranches at the state level. We have to have a grassroots effort. The, you know, society has to understand the impact upon the consumer. It's both an educative and a legislative issue, and and there are a number of state trucking associations that had real momentum uh, in the fall and into Q1 for legislative re- reform on a variety of issues at the state level. While we need to have initiatives working for national tort reform, not unlike we did when in in the '90s, when your local doctor started to leave different communities because they couldn't afford their medical malpractice insurance, there needs to be a grassroots effort where we're going to get some tort reform at the national level. This this there was a group that was formed and really led by the ATA shortly before COVID nineteen crisis. That was a multi industry, multi association, multi partner litigation reform initiative. That has to get has to get legs here. We have to continue as an industry to drive litigation reform efforts if we're ever going to materially impact the cost of cost of insurance, the cost of risk and the cost of society.
0: Well, one final question then after a fairly thoroughly depressing interview. (laughs) Dan, it's been great. But let me ask you then, what do you tell a driver who's, let's face it, there are companies that have closed their doors and they've cited insurance as the kind of final nail in the coffin. What do you say to them? Are there any, is there anything they can do in the, in the short term? You know, one of the things you said in that webinar and you started to touch on it during the podcast is that you expect with this kind of squeeze that you'll see companies cut back on some safety measures, not that they're going to a, uh, completely abandon safety, but maybe that, that extra capital investment for some sort of new technology, well, maybe that doesn't get paid. Maybe that doesn't get purchased anymore. So what do you say to a, to a fleet or big or small about how to deal with this? Well, first of all, this, this is an opportunity I haven't
1: had, and I, I guess I'm going to step through and take to dispel some myths here. Um, the, I pulled the cab reports, I pulled the safety data on a number of motor carriers that have stated publicly that they went broke because of their insurance costs. and And when I reviewed each each one of them, what I found was a business that was struggling, that had multiple CSA basic scores and alert that had experienced in many instances a number of violations in excess of that of their peers that had issues going on relative to safety and compliance and claims that made them less attractive to the underwriters and earned them more expensive rates than their peers.
0: Right, but blaming the insurance company is a very easy thing to do.
1: It really is. And so as a result, they did have insurance offers that they could not afford. I will tell you, though, while insurance costs are very high, painful right now to to motor carriers, there are still best-in-class motor carriers getting the best deals and negotiating rates that they can absorb in their business and pass on to shippers. And so the key right now for motor carriers is to gain an element of control. I advocate that they become their own underwriters, that they learn everything that the underwriter is learning about them, that they underwrite their own business, that they correct their deficiencies that they own their data that they gain an element of control over their business i mean we we all know you know the, the saying that repeating the same activity over and over again uh, and expecting a different outcome is the definition of insanity you cannot continue forward as a motor carrier competing for risk financing deals on a bid and quote basis you know motor carriers compete every day they're good at it they compete for freight They compete for drivers. Now, right now, they have to compete for underwriting capacity. And there is a big disparity between the prices that one motor carrier gets versus another. And there is a clear opportunity to win as a motor carrier in this area of the business and become more competitive.
0: All right, Dan, I we could go on a long time with this, and I think maybe we'd like to have you back on Drilling Deep. But for now, I want to thank Dan Cook, the principal, uh, principal and practice leader from True North, True North, for talking with us today here on Drilling Deep about truck insurance. Uh, Drilling Deep is part of the Freight Cash family of podcasts from Freight Waves. We've got lots and lots of things all week long. You can find it at freightwaves.com. You can subscribe to it through various podcast portals. Uh, until next week, I'm John Kingston. Please join us again.